You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we are very topical given the way the building industry is going at the moment. We have got for the first time ever a building inspector in the studio to chat all things construction and, and building inspections, I guess. And the person to help us out here is none other than Andrew Booth. He is the principal of ABBC Building Inspections. Andrew, thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. As I said, it's a really topical space right now because it's generally when the market's booming and we have a shortage of supply of good trades where things start to go wrong, right? Correct. Yeah, the under construction market is certainly under the pump at the moment. And we're certainly seeing workmanship that is not necessarily the best. Even the builders themselves are conscious that it's going on. And you're seeing some of the major builders stepping into actually engaging the services of building inspectors to help them along that journey. Just to keep that quality control. To sow the seeds of doubt in the minds of their subcontractors. Yes, to try and influence and change the behaviour of their subbies so that their supervisors can only see so many jobs. Mm. And at the end of the day, the supervisor's job isn't necessarily, it sounds ironic, but it isn't necessarily quality. It is more production. It's schedule. It's, yeah. it's keeping to a time. And a lot of site supervisors, most of them I would actually say, I don't think they're actually, they're not registered builders. So they also don't have that level of qualification too. No, that's that's true. They, they may be skilled in a certain trade. They mm. may be a painter or a, or a bricklayer or yep. chippy but they're not necessarily a registered builder and not across all the trades. Look, it's good to see that there are builders taking that on, that initiative really to protect their brand and their name. And and those are the ones that just generally they will look after themselves going forward. But we're scraping the bottom of the barrel at the moment when it comes to a few trades and it's only going to get tougher in there over the next 12 months, isn't it? It is. Well, the other thing that the industry does suffer too is that some of the money that's being paid to the trades isn't necessarily brilliant. You know, things haven't moved that much in prices since I was building. You know, 25 years ago, I was paying a roof carpenter $14 a square metre. Today, the project home guys are paying $18 a square metre. So in 25 years, it's only moved $4 a square metre. Mm. So are the guys going to take shortcuts? Possibly, if they can. Can't say um, the same for brickies the, though. <laughs> I think I was paying at, when it was really booming when I was building I was paying $2 the guys are getting $2.80 $3 so when you when you look at inflation over 25 years would have been expecting 4 to $5 wouldn't have been unreasonable mm. to keep up with inflation tell you what if we were paying 4 to $5 for a brick I don't think anyone would be building these days or if they were they wouldn't be using brick correct they'd move to different sort of materials and maybe that's yes. where we need to be going over time Andrew <laughs> hey let's pull it back and just talk about now the building inspection industry because it's you know we can sit here and ramble on about the property market and the building market for days Mm -hmm. i'm sure people would love to hear that but (laughs) i really want to talk about the building inspection industry today can you give us an understanding as to how you get to the position the role of building inspector do you all start as a tradie and then become a builder and then once you get to that point in your life start keeping everyone else accountable Across the inspection industry, and there's probably 100 inspectors out there in Perth, they all come from a variety of backgrounds. I have a degree in civil engineering, so I come from an engineering perspective. That gives me a a different way of looking at the buildings rather than some of the guys that come up through the trades. Generally, your better qualified building inspector would be a registered builder, but certainly the the building inspection industry is totally unregulated. Mm. And people might find that a bit strange, but... 
anybody, your grandma can hang out a shingle as a building inspector if they want. There's nothing to stop them. And that's where people who are looking for the services of a building inspector, they really need to do their homework in terms of who are they getting, what qualifications do they have, how long have they been doing it. You don't really become comfortable as a building inspector until you've done probably 500 inspections. It takes a lot of seeing the repetitive stuff for you to know that's normal and that's not normal mm. um, to be able to pick up those sorts of things. Look, you brought up a really interesting point that the industry has suffered from for years, I think. And what it does is, you know, a lot of people pay for it at the end of the day. In this situation, you get what you pay for, I would have thought. And in that those guys who aren't registered builders don't have engineering degrees or that background that they can stand behind. They're probably the cheaper ones as well. And again, there you for you're probably getting what you paid for. But in the space here where it's your family home, whether you're actually buying it or you're building it and keeping your builder accountable... It's got to be worth more than a couple of hundred bucks differential on the price, doesn't it? And Absolutely. How, so then how, how do we know if we don't know a building inspector from a bar of soap? How do we know we've got a good one? Industry bodies, I thought would be a start. That's correct. There's, there's two industry bodies out there. One is the Building Inspectors Association of WA, which was formed originally to try and benchmark building inspectors. When building commission decided they weren't going to register building inspectors, we took it upon ourselves to establish a benchmark of a minimum qualification of being a registered builder. You had to have been doing inspections for at least 12 months and you had to submit your reports to the association so that we could check the quality of the reports. There's also a code of ethics uh, people abide by. All the members also carry professional indemnity insurance. So you will find inspectors out there that aren't registered builder, don't have insurance, give backhanders to whoever will give them a job. It's uh, quite a, a wide variety of different inspectors out there. Mm. So, that, And then the other body that has risen as well is uh, what's known as Inspect WA, which is the Association of Building and Property Inspectors in Western Australia. Inspect WA was formed to try and promote the interests of building inspectors in general. It was to try and push the industry along. You know, the, the industry had got to a, a sort of critical mass of a certain number of inspectors and certainly a certain number of inspectors that were looking to weed out the inexperienced, the unqualified and the uninsured from the industry. And the only way they were going to be able to do that was to the companies taking a role in advancing the industry rather than just individuals. Mm. So Inspect WA is definitely a company-based association. It does have one-man band operators as well. And the BIA is promoted basically inspector excellence. Um, so yeah, Inspect WA sounds like a bit of an industry body. BIA sounds more like a professional body. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's it was more to try and give a benchmark of the actual quality of the inspector, mm-hmm. whereas Inspect WA unashamedly wants to see more building inspections. Bit of a lobby happen. group, yeah, yep. absolutely representative group. So if you find a building inspector and he's not a part of one of those two organisations, you'd be questioning them. Absolutely, yeah. You'd be wondering why they weren't a member. I won't cast any aspersions that as to why they aren't a member, but there are certainly some members that we, some companies that we haven't accepted as members because they do offer backhanders, for example. Okay. So let's talk about the cost of a building inspection. Uh, Obviously, there's a number of services and we'll go through that quite soon, but what would a normal pre-purchase inspection cost? And what would you want to be paying? Yeah, there are guys out there who are as cheap as $200. Um, You probably want to be paying around $400. And then uh, for a comprehensive inspection, which covers a bit more than just the roof, the walls, and the floor. You'd want to be paying around the $600 mark. 
Okay. So we've just spoken about a pre-purchase building inspection, which is a clause that most people should have if they're purchasing a house to live in or to rent out. What other services do building inspectors generally provide? Uh, building inspectors normally get involved in, yes, pre-purchase, as you said. Uh, houses under construction, looking at various stages of construction. What stages? Um, slab stage, brickwork stage, roof stage, waterproofing stage, and then the final practical completion stage. That sounds um, like it's adding up a little bit. Would, how much would that cost to do all five of those stages? For your normal 4 by 2 um, just under $3,000. So it's and if I had to maybe choose two stages just to make it a bit more affordable and those are the ones you'd really say, look, you can't not do these two, what would they be? I'd be getting in at brickwork stage and then do practical completion. Yeah. And is that what a lot of people would end up doing? People are mixing it up. Some people who are really strapped, really looking for options to keep the cost down. The reason I say brickwork stage rather than slab stage is that usually in the construction process, the slabs are put down by the construction manager's of the company and then it's not handed to the supervisor till brickwork stage. So you you want to sow the seeds of doubt that we're coming with the supervisor because then once it's been inspected that once, every other stage he's expecting mm, someone to, to rock up. Someone to rock up and inspect it. So he's telling the subcontractors somebody's coming to you inspect You better look it. after this one boys because Co- I'm getting watched. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I noticed that with a lot of our clients who would like to do certain stages of the build inspection they generally favour just before the roof cover's gone on. They want to see the roof construction. Have you noticed that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Perth generally suffers from... There was a change of code about 1992. The the council stopped doing inspections of roof frame right at the end of the 1980s. So basically from 1990 through to about 2010, for middle-roofed houses... There's certainly a huge backlog, probably 200,000 houses out there that aren't constructed properly. They're not tied down properly. They're not tied together properly. So we're seeing a huge raft of buildings that are being having to be worked on when it comes to um, settlement for pre-purchase. Wow. So the Building Commission went through in 2014 and they did an assessment of building works that were in progress and they found themselves that there's only 40% of builders that are doing it the right way. Mm. So the last six years, there's an awful lot of work that's gone in to raising the standard. But, I mean, you just saw the devastation that happened in Kalbarri. Can you imagine if that cyclone had gone through Perth? Yeah. It would, it would be absolutely devastating. The Building Commission is aware of it, but the Building Commission's mandate is only six years. So they, they can only backtrack six years. They realise that there is, yeah, this 20-year period where there is suspect roofing, shall we say. Let's go back to that pre-purchase stage where I think 90% of people would use a building inspector for. Their mum or their mate would tell them, look, if you're going to go buy that property, make sure it's got a building and also a pest and timber inspection. I'm, I'm assuming you rock up a lot of the time with the pest and timber guy at this, on the same day with, this, with the agent letting you into the house. What do you generally see as the issues as the first question, and then my next question would be, how many of those are actually covered under the standard rearward joint forms as structural issues? Metal roof housing would be, would be one issue that we see. Waterproofing in showers, roof leaks, uneven settlement issues, swimming pool safety, balustrade and stair safety, sort of home handyman works. The home renovations yeah, sort the of DIY stuff. The yeah. Di- yeah, the DIY sort of stuff. If people aren't skilled 
or they're not keeping control of the guys who are doing it. Yeah, there's some pretty substandard work. There's people hooking up downpipes into the sewers, people uh, plumbing their swimming pools into the sewers. The sewer overflow is being built over at the time of doing the rear extension. There's an awful lot of stuff that, that is inadvertently built wrongly. You know, it needs to be put right for the next person. I'll tell you what, Andrew, most of that sounds like things that are not covered by ARIWA's uh, general building inspection form. That's true. The consumer is also not covered by a cooling off period. In Western Australia, we're different to pretty much every other state in Australia in that there's no cooling off period when you buy a house. Explain that for me. In the eastern states, custom practice is that you would sign the offer and acceptance and you have a 7 to 10 day cooling off period. And in that time, you'd go off and you'd get a building inspection done and you get your pest inspection done. And at the end of those seven days, the real estate agent's saying to you, do you want to buy the house? And it may be that you still want to buy the house, but you want a reduction in price because you've found... Some damp or some mould or... It needs re... Something's leaking. The roof needs retiling. You know, it needs $40,000 taken off the price to re-roof it. And the vendor has the opportunity to renegotiate at that sort of time as well. You know, sometimes they'll say, no, this is the price, let's go forward. But in Western Australia, you make your offer with your best offer. And if that offer is accepted without a building inspection, you're not getting a building inspection. You can't go back and say, oh, hang on, I want to do one. No, you can't go back and say you you want one. And And if you put that in as a contract condition, it may be less favorable to the seller and they may choose someone else. That's also correct. Yes, in today's market where you've got three buyers for every house, the vendor may prefer to sell it to the person who isn't putting in a building inspection. Mm. And we understand that's the commercial reality of it. But the other thing that the purchaser will find difficult is that generally the clause that's being offered to them to sign to get a building inspection is your standard REWA structurally sound clause. And that looks after the seller, if we're honest. It does. It's written by a body that represents the seller. True. And in the defense of the real estate agent, that's what he's being paid for. You know, he, he would be contravening his own regulations if he acted on behalf of the purchaser. So he's got to... He's got to police what's going on for the benefit of the vendor. People need to remember from my perspective though that REWA is a body that generally represents selling agents who represent sellers. So the, the issue there is that most buyers would think that REWA also represents them. And in small cases it does, but generally it doesn't. It represents the selling side. So uh, people need to recognize that the standard REWA forms, they are set up for the seller, for the seller to offer the buyer. Yes. Written for the seller. So Inspect WA has got a, a few other documents that you might be able to put forward. That's correct. To, to counteract this, we've developed what's called the major defects clause. So there's a number of ways in which it's different. Firstly, it's up to the purchaser to be able to walk away from the deal or stay in the deal. Secondly, it talks about major defects, which could be structural defects, but could also be other things that are safety issues. They could be balustrade issues. They could be, if it's, if it's a two-year-old house, it could be, and the showers are failing, you know, it could be raising those sorts of issues. It could be swimming pool safety. A lot of issues that, that aren't covered under the structurally sound clause. Mm. Things and that should be structural, really, but they're deemed as not structural in the rewa document. That's right. The other major difference is that the rewa document only covers the four walls of the house. It doesn't cover patios, carports, retaining walls at the back, swimming pools, fences. Everything, everything that makes else a home. Outside the property. That's right. The Inspect WA 
clause does cover everything within 30 metres of the house. And in the rear wetlands shot, it doesn't even oblige sellers to provide access to certain spaces like the roof space, for example. If a building inspector rocks up and he can't get himself into that manhole because it's been padlocked or there is no manhole to find, then the building inspector can't get access, essentially, right? That's a that's, huge risk. That's correct. Yeah, the building inspector would just write down no access provided or inadequate access to get in to, to have a look. But that's a good fundamental difference, too, of the Inspect WA clause. The Inspect WA clause does say that time stops if access is not provided mm. until such time as that access is provided, and then the inspector has to come back and make the, the inspection. Give us an example of where that risk sits. A good example is a house that was described to me that had termite damage in an enclosed back veranda that was immediately obvious, but they couldn't. But there was no manholes into the ceiling of the main house, and so the the purchaser had no idea whether how much damage there was, whether it was progressing all the way through and really badly damaging the main roof or whether it was just confined to a, a small area outside. So the risk so sits with the buyer? The, the seller basically said, well, you've had your inspection. There is no opportunity for a second inspection, so tough luck. And that's and, what the um, annex you allowed for? Correct. And, that's, and so it had to go to settlement, and the poor old purchaser had to sweat it all the way to settlement and actually owning the property before finding out whether there was actually a, a major problem there. So if I'm Steve Smith on the street and I'm listening to this now going, oh, my God, how did I not know this existed? Luckily, I haven't bought my property yet. I want to buy one next week. How do I get my hands on one of these? Well, if you go to inspectwa.org.au, it's certainly downloadable from the uh, the website of, free of Inspect charge? WA, free of charge. Isn't yes. that fantastic? It was written by a lawyer and it was backed, backed by professional indemnity insurance as well. So, so if you were speaking to your next door neighbour and they said, Andrew, I'm looking to buy a house and you said, have you got the Inspect WA clause in there and they said no i haven't would you be going back to them saying mate you're an idiot we get that all the time from our customers that when they ring up they say so i'm not covered if you find anything and it's realistically it's sorry mate no you're not and that's the crazy ironic thing about it is the buyer signs this rewill form thinks they're protected goes and gets themselves a fantastic building inspector like yourself you bring up all these things that have happened and the form that is signed makes you essentially impotent. The form doesn't protect the buyers from what you've just found. No, that's correct. And more to the point, it's not up to you as to whether the contract goes forward. It's up to the vendor. The seller can either rectify or the seller can pull the deal. But you have no choice in what happens. Yeah, especially if you've got some of these things, for example, damp roof stuff. Uh, even if the seller has to rec rectify it, and let's say that they do, you may not want to continue with that property anymore because of the issues it has. What If you found these issues, what else might happen next year? Absolutely. And, that, and that's where a, a comprehensive report would maybe highlight that. You look at your typical Mount Lawley tiled-roofed house, tiles are 90 years old. Yeah, your California bungalow. Yeah, from, from the outside, the house looks fantastic. But once we get in the roof and we find that the roof tiles are shot, it could be a $40,000 re-roof. Mm. Your bank would take a pretty dim view of you taking on a property that's got a $40,000 problem. Now, you've just brought up one great story. I'm sure you've got a few things that you can, can share with the listeners that are quite entertaining or probably quite sad for a lot of people. Any inspections where the ramification is the builder has had to go back and rebuild the property? Certainly, yes. Yeah, we, we see that quite often. And to their credit, you know, as I was 
talking about the major problems with roofing in WA, quite a few of the major builders will address those issues. I've had um, major builders go back to houses built in 2003, 2004, because they've looked at them and realised that they were deficient and they they needed rectification. Hmm. Even tiled-roofed houses can be suspect. You can just envisage the guys have three more struts to put in on a Friday afternoon and they forget to put them in. They can't be bothered going back on the Monday, but the roof tilers have arrived and then the roof tilers haven't checked it and have just laid the roof tiles. Just get on with it. 20, that's right. But 20 years later, you know, there's a big sag in the roof because the three struts that were supposed to be there aren't there. Or the bolts that were holding the timber on the top of the steels weren't put in. Oh, we'll get to that later. We'll just nail them for the time being. We haven't bolted them and seeing them sliding off the steels. That would be once or twice a year we'd see that sort of problem. Mm. Tie down would be the biggest issue. I suppose the more sinister one would be plastering, the shonky plastering that has gone on. There again, driven by the fact that the rates that are paid Very to the cheap. guys are, are cheap. And I think one of the reasons for that is when you would generally find, I don't like to generalise, but... Most plasterers are immigrants. They're some people who can't look after themselves or fend for themselves in terms of price. A lot of them are grateful for the work they get. And when they're stretched too far, they can't negotiate on price because of demand and supply issues. They get pushed to a point where the job starts to decrease in, in quality. Well, that's right. They're, they're changing their mixes in order to get more meters on in a given day. When I f- stopped building 25 years ago, the guys were getting paid, f- yeah, seven and seven, fourteen dollars a square meter for finished plaster. Today they're getting paid nine and nine, so they're getting paid eighteen dollars. What happened for a long time was the the mix of the, the hardwall plaster to uh, to the lime putty. It used to, it should be sixty forty. It would end up being sixty forty the other way. Um, just because the guys were trying to put more meters on the wall, they were ending up with a very soft plaster. Mm. And I'm sure all of the listeners will have that experience of using sticky tape on their wall to put up a poster in the kid's bedroom and it coming off. Or as they're doing the vacuuming around the house, it's chipping off, um, the paint's chipping off the wall. Whereas that shouldn't happen with a, a good plastering job. A couple of fun questions for you. Which is a better roof type, colour bond or tile? They're just different, I suppose. My personal favourite would be colour bond, but there's nothing wrong with concrete tiles. Clay tiles, I think you have to pick and choose between where they're manufactured and how they're manufactured. The clay tile companies have done a good job in terms of selling to the public that they're the best type of roof cover, but being the most expensive isn't necessarily the best. Mm. What about roof frame, timber or steel? I was going to say there's, there's more chance of making a mistake with timber, but actually... No, I've seen quite a few trust jobs that uh, are either held down improperly or they've been loaded improperly. You know, they, they might have a, um, a tank for a solar hot water system that's been placed in the wrong position. The plumber's not realising that it's a truss roof, so they haven't put them in the right spot. And that was a hugely expensive exercise to fix. But the builder, to his credit, Perth's big, biggest builder, came back and fixed it. So Timber walls or double brick? You can't beat the double brick, I suppose. It's so tried and trusted. And I, and I say that in two ways. It's tried and trusted in WA. Perth hasn't yet caught up and hasn't got the skill base necessarily in the carpenters on doing the timber framing. So, you know, if you're choosing to do use a stud-framed um, construction, 
you'd want to make sure that your roof carpenters are experienced in working with those sorts of things. For so long, the roof carpenters have been used to doing roofs, but they haven't necessarily been used to doing wall framing. Mm. So it's, it's a different kettle of fish. And it's not only the wall framing, but it's the claddings. The AFS type construction, certainly there's a lot of detailing that is leading to huge problems down the track. Huge mm. waterproofing issues. We're seeing it in apartment buildings at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's been it's been a problem for fifteen years that I know of. The leaking issues, um, certainly on the coastal suburbs, some of the AFS jobs on the coast, um, just because of the product and just because the maintenance hasn't. Well, a they were constructed badly to start off with, and b the owners haven't done the maintenance on them. They haven't kept up the paint finishes to um, AFS. Nobody realises that the the external skin is really it's just hardy flex. It's it's a it's an absorbent product, and if you don't keep the paint up to it, it will start to absorb moisture, and then it will transmit that to the steel framing inside the structure. Mm. Uh, most builders still use white set. Some have gyprock on the wall. Thoughts? I actually like white set. A lot of the builders are moving over to one bag products such as multi finish. Multi finish is certainly a really good product to use in, in lieu of white set. There's certainly a market aversion in terms of gyprop. The way it sounds, the way it's harder to get fixings into the walls, the way sometimes you're getting rattling of um, strapping inside the walls, and certainly the, the joint finishing isn't necessarily uh, fantastic. The white set, when it's done properly, is a, is a really good product. It's worth the builders considering how much they're paying and making sure that they're paying the right sort of rates all moving to a suitable product. So a lot of the builders out there are using a product called ProRock, which is another one-bag mix. It's not quite the right product, and certainly in our hot conditions, it does tend to go off a bit prematurely, and I've seen a few jobs that are very wavy because the, the product's gone off on the wall before they've Whilst had time setting. to... Yeah, before they had time to finish it, and then the, the, they're dragging the trowels on it, and, it's, and it makes it wavy. And getting it off, you have to take an axe to it. It's... I mean, it's, it's a... It's rock all, hard. <laughs> yeah, all, all those products are really good products in terms of the finished product. You just do have to know how to use them, yeah. Andrew, we could go for hours, mate. I reckon there'd be so many great things that everyone could learn, but we're at the end of our time. So what would be the last thing, I guess, the last message you'd have for people out there, both in the industry, but also uh, punters on the street are thinking about getting a building inspector? Well, for the punters in the street looking for a building inspector, I'd certainly would urge them to go to the Inspect WA org.au website and download our pre-purchase annex so that they are armed with that before you even go looking for a house because Murphy's Law says you go looking for a house then you get caught up with them looking and then so many people will go oh crap I've forgotten to even get a building inspection because I'd, I liked the house and I wanted the house so that's the first thing the second thing I'd say to the industry is if you're a building inspector out there and you're a registered builder I would encourage you to join Inspect WA to further your knowledge in the industry, to have the resources that an industry that can support you, both from a business sense, but also from a knowledge sense. And I'd also encourage members also to, to join the BIA to really challenge themselves in terms of excellence in, in the, the way they inspect and the way they, they report. Definitely right. And my message to everyone out there, or really it would be to the Department of Commerce, is make sure these guys are registered builders or at least have a tertiary education in, in engineering and stop letting these cowboys out there into this industry because it, it puts risk on everyone involved. Andrew Booth from ABBC Building Inspections, thanks so much for coming in, mate. It's been, it's been a great and really interesting and insightful conversation. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!